0: Hello, and welcome to Block Talk, presented by Theatre in the Now. My name is Michael Block, and I will be your host. Before we begin, if you aren't already following Theatre in the Now, jump on over to Twitter and follow us at Theatre in the Now. That is theatre with an E-R. And, of course, check out TheaterintheNow.com for the latest reviews and interviews. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited to start this new adventure with you. So let's dive right in. Alright, we are live at the Paradise Factory, uh, where uh, Rush by Callie Kimball will be premiering this week until October 9th, 25th. And we are here talking to the one and only Christopher Derrickson.
1: Hello. That's How are me. you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little rested. We, yeah. just lo- we loaded in yesterday, and it was a late day.
0: Yeah, it's looking good in here.
1: It looks incomplete. Let's be
0: honest. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see what it's gonna be. Yeah. Um, you, you can give like everyone a little preview of what you're gonna. Oh no. Here. no, no, no! Just
1: come, just 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 travel to the Yukon with us. All right. All. So,
0: basically, I mean, just a little preview. You can't really walk on it without shoes, or your feet are gonna die. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: you'll be okay. Those, they'll be okay. Just pay. Attention. Just don't don't come barefoot. yeah
0: so well let's plug your show now just to start it off
1: sure okay Uh, Rush uh, is a new play written by Kelly Kimball
0: and where can we get tickets and learn
1: more about it you can go to teamawesomerobot.com which is the name of my theater company um, for information you could also go to for tickets you can go to rush.brownpapertickets.com and you can get tickets Uh, they are $18 um and uh yeah, we have we run twelve performances October 9th through the twenty fifth. Um Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're trying to, you know, get the word out and have lots of people come at the end. That's awesome. sort of the goal. So yeah.
0: Cool. Well we'll get into that shortly, but um let's talk about you first. Oh boy. Um so like me, you are a Jersey native.
1: What up. Yeah, um, only I picked the right hockey team.
0: Oh, we're going to get into hockey at the end. Also, <laughs> uh, because I don't know when this will officially be on, but um, the seventh is the beginning of the new hockey season. Uh-huh. I'm excited. I have hope for my team, but we'll get into that later. I have a different kind of hope
1: for my team. <laughs> yeah, your, your
0: team is screwed. But, um, so what was it like growing up in New Jersey? And how did New Jersey get you into the theatrical world? <sighs>
1: Well, I grew up. I grew up in a place called Caldwell. It's uh, it's in Essex County. It's um, uh, not too far, about 16 miles out of New York City. Um, and growing up, my family was active in uh, the church and the choir that was there. There was a pretty robust choir program in the church. Um, and the high school choir would put on a musical every year, and um, they would take a like during the winter break for school. They would tour. So, um, for I I started when I was three in the choir, and I went all the way through to 18 and graduated high school, and was in a number of different musicals there, and I was uh, very into music growing up, Um, and so I became one of the guys that was playing the leads and doing all that stuff, and and then at the same time in uh, high school, I was... Still really into music, and I was doing the high school plays, which were it's a little bit less of a robust program, um, but still a great experience and a lot of fun. And uh, just from there, it just became a thing. And when I went to college, um, I wasn't. I, it was never about theater, right? I don't know that I knew what I was looking for in these plays. I think it was ultimately now, in hindsight, it was probably about community, right? Um, and then, and feeling a part of something and feeling I could make things and, you know, sort of my insatiable desire to make things.
0: And did you go to college to be a performer or an all-around theater practitioner? Neither. I
1: originally went to college to be an educator. Okay. I went I went to Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania, it's a small liberal arts college, um, and they, uh, they have a great education program out there. And so I went for that, and then I was also into, I, I read so much of just always reading and so i was interested in english um becoming an english teacher and then theater was a thing they didn't really have too much of a music program there at the time it was it was um it was a choir and i got like Mm -hmm. a little a tiny little scholarship um to sing in the choir every year um just to help offset it wasn't it wasn't a lot of money it was just a small thing but um but yeah, so, but they had this great theater program. And so I got, I auditioned for the play, and it was a devised movement piece. All right. Based on Alfred Jarry's Ubuwa. Okay. Also based on Shakespeare that the, one of the professors was just creating with students, and we just like made this using Shostakovich and Tchaikovsky. It was like for a kid that was doing Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> and My Fair Lady. Like, and that's, and like, every once, we had a play every other year that was a straight play. This was, this was trial by fire, but I had a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of confidence, probably too much confidence. Um, well, probably overcompensating, I'm sure. Uh, and I got cast in it, and from, and I was like, this is amazing, just the, the act of creation and storytelling. Um, and that's really what started me on the path to being. A new play director. From there, I, you know, I, I did that. And I was doing it all the different plays, and that play that play went to the, um, the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival. Very cool. Yeah, uh, and that went to the regional festival, and right. um, people were like, "This is weird," uh, but it was a big deal. We were like, "Oh, success!" And um, and then I, you know, I just kept going through it. And then when I went to uh, after I graduated Albright, I went to the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center to study at the National Theater Institute. Which is a uh, that's talk about another another trial by fire right. in a lot of ways. It's a lot of work. Um and a lot of fun and just really it's sort of like it's sort of like a condensed conservatory mm-hmm. um but for all of theater, you know, not like a BFA where it's like you're just acting. It's it's right. you've got a you you're in a you're in a farm essentially for however many months and you're tasked with you know directing Carol Churchill's a striker in a day, what do you have you know and uh and then you know through that and through the connection to the National playwrights conference there and getting to meet all these amazing playwrights and seeing how new work develops uh i I has, was always I was already sort of like questioning being an actor mm-hmm. um because serv- I, I would say that I'm a serviceable actor for the right roles, um, but I, my ambition to be in this business was too great for my skill set. So I saw a very clear plateau. <laughs> and the way I like to say it is, I saw this plateau on acting, and I wasn't going to get over that hump um, without very serious therapy. Um, but directing was interesting to me, and uh, I so I, I, I was like, I think I can... I feel like I can make some headway in this direction. It's just interesting to me. And so it just turned into that. And, you know, then I just started working here. And I've been here for, since 2008. So, nice. in New York since 2008, and just making things happen as best I can.
0: And you've been working on a lot of new works and with a lot of a lot, a of, lot of collaborators. A
1: lot of collaborators, a lot of companies. Uh, for a time, I, I mean, I was with a company called Lunar Energy Productions, uh, my dear friend Philip Gates, actually, the first play I did in New York City that was like an independent thing right. um, was this play. Uh, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Mm, like the Night, is okay. what it was called by Katherine Sherman, who's a friend of mine from the O'Neill. Um, and she hooked me up with Philip Gates, who now does a lot of work with the Antimatter Collective. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy, great friend. Um, and he was directing a thing, and I acted in that thing, and um, so we, they started Lunar Energy Productions, I was a literary manager for them for a time, started the Moonshine reading series, which is where I met the playwright for this play, actually.
0: Very cool. Very that's how we, that's how we met as well. That's true, that's how
1: we met. That's how we met. Michael uh, Michael submitted a play, and we ended up doing a reading of his, um, which is this neat Peer Gint adaptation. Yes, it was. Which uh, may be making
0: a comeback. We're not sure yet. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're going to play around with it. Hit with that. Let me see that.
1: Um, yeah, so we did that. And then I worked at the Secret Theater in Long Island City. Uh, they offered me a bunch of really cool opportunities, which I turned into the new, which I turned into the new Voices Pro uh, project as a developing program. It's now moved to an, nice. a little bit different since I've left there. Um, but yeah, I've worked with a bunch of great company, great playwrights out there, and just. Trying to help people make, tell better stories, you know? Right. And now we're here.
0: Now you're here and you started your own company. Yeah, well... So let's hear about it.
1: Okay, so Team Awesome Robot is uh, the name of the company. Um, It's born out of a collaboration with Yvonne Hartung, who uh, is a dear friend of mine who... Um, started out. We started out collaborating. She was my stage manager for a production of the Seagull that I did okay. about three years ago at the Secret Theater, um, with Wandering Bark Productions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing the show right now. Yes, they are with called the Witches, which I'm excited for. Um, but yeah, I met Yvonne, and we started working. And in the room, it was clear that there was a really clear connection between us as far as communicating ideas. Uh, as well as organizing each other, working off of each other. So for three, and so it just snowballed from there. I mean, the next show I did, I was like, I found a position for her to be a part of. And um, so we've been working together for about three years now and gotten to the point where we decided that this collaboration should have, is not going anywhere, right? And uh, I don't know what just happened. I guess the light just blew.
0: The light just came out.
1: Great. Awesome. Um, I, <laughs> we realized that the collaboration wasn't going anywhere. And so, and neither were we. And so we decided that we should um, incorporate ourselves in such a way that we can support each other, maybe get to a point where the company can start having a name for itself, where we can further develop this aesthetic and this way and way of working that we, that we have. Um, which is very much born out of, uh, it rewards collaborators whose impulse is just to come into a project with open arms and outstretched palms saying, how can I help, right? And that's sort of, that, that's, those are the people that when they come and work with us that I feel like they feel the most valued and we feel like the work is, is the best. Great. Um, so it's a bit of a, collab- it, it's, we call it a collaboration initiative really Great. more than a production company.
0: That's kind of rare in the city.
1: I, you know, it is and it isn't. I don't know, maybe it's rare that, I don't know. I think there's a lot of great companies that work in that way that maybe don't label themselves in right. such a way. Um, you know, Lesser America is a company mm-hmm. that I think is awesome and they do, they are totally, they collaborate, they're great collaborators. They are. You know what I mean? Um, that's, Gideon Productions is another one. They're, they're, they collaborate. They, everyone has a job, don't get me wrong. Everyone has a job around here. We're not, we're not a devised ensemble. <laughs> You know, where it's sort of fl- more fluid. Those companies exist. Um, we set our hierarchy. We know what sure. jobs we have within each project. But it's about it's about saying up front that like your ideas are valuable. Um, it's uh, it's a really cheesy metaphor, but it works. <laughs> but you know how you take if you ever lit two candles, right? Like just stick candles, and they have a certain the height. The flame is a certain height. And if you put the flames together, they it grows in height at a rate that's way, it seems larger than it right. should. It's not doubling, it's like quadrupling in size. Right. And that's sort of the concept, that if we all consider our ideas as individual little candles, then you put them together, we make a bonfire. How beautiful. It's adorable. I come up with this crap <laughs> all the time, and I apologize. My fiancé hates it. <laughs>
0: so how did you come to pick Rush? Or where, where did Rush come from?
1: Okay, well, uh, I mentioned Moonshine. And the first play that I ever did with uh, in the Moonshine reading series was by Callie Kimball, who uh, um, I had met briefly a couple times, and we had started to follow each other on Twitter. And this was back when Twitter was still rather young and a little different and it wasn't as, as widespread. Right. So uh, it was easier to form friendships out of Twitter at the time. You um, can still do it. But uh, the play was called This Is Not Beowulf. And it uh, has since changed names to Dreams of the Penny Gods. Okay, uh, It's actually going to be produced this year at Halcyon Theater in Chicago, which we're very proud of. Very, I'm very proud to have been a part of that development of that play. Um But we became really good friends, and uh, Callie moved to Maine a couple of years ago, and um, we've been friends for, we are just, you know, in constant contact. She's a very familiar relationship between us. And so she'd sent a bunch of scripts to me, and um, we were just saying, well, I I read it and I loved it, and it was right around the time that Yvonne and I were coming to sort of, it it was around like February, that we started talking about, it, February of 2015. And we started talking about doing this, and the play was there, and we could see ourselves taking the time to do it right, and being able to actually present it, and fitting it in, within to our aesthetic um, of storytelling. And so that's, that's how it began, and then we-
0: And what's the development of the piece been before now? Well,
1: before now, so Callie, uh, forgive me Callie, if I forget, but I believe that this was originated during the Hunter College, um, MFA playwriting program, which Kelly was uh, a, is a is a graduate of in the first class actually of that with Tina Howe, and um, and then it was produced in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, by a small company ooh, ooh, River Horse Run Mad Horse. Oh no! Ah, oh, Jasmine. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> a, company, a small company. Um, and then, uh, so since then, there have been some changes. We have uh, expanded certain aspects of it, um, of of the play. Certain characters have their their arcs and their personalities have come out a bit more uh, in the text. Um, there's a bit more exposition in certain places. Um, the play deals so much in mystery. It is a mystery. Um, and there's it's about managing that, right Managing the how esoteric you can become without an audience not understanding what happened or losing interest or um, or worse seeing it coming a mile away and being right. bored. Um, that's the challenge right of a mystery play and so this this one when I read it I went I, I was I'm a, I'm a rather cynical person when it comes to storytelling um, and I was blown away I was so surprised and I that's rare to me so
0: and so when you read it did you see it come to life as you're reading it
1: no truthfully no uh, I heard the characters voices very clearly I heard Callie's voice very clearly. Each character has their own voice, um, and the circumstances are all very interesting. And the way in which the to- that time is is treated, uh, I saw that very clearly. I saw I saw how we would go backwards in time and then catch ourselves up to the present moment in within scenes. Um, I I could see sort of the wormhole, right? I don't know that I saw fully how it was staged, how it existed on stage yet. Um, but I trusted that as soon as I put actors in a room and we knew what the stage was gonna be, and we started to, you know, uh, then, then we'd get there, you know?
0: Has Callie been a part of the rehearsal process at all?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, well, she's been a part of the process right? Um, remotely. Uh, she hasn't been able to be at too many rehearsals, so she did, was able to make a rehearsal uh, okay. last week, um, which was so helpful, and I feel like good to check in. It's a good check-in. Um, but Callie and I have been in constant communication. Uh, she knows where we're at. She understands where I'm at. We have a really clear uh, understanding of of each other and what the story is going to be. I mean, how long do I say that again? That's good. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, and talk about your collaborators that you're working with. Um, have you worked with them before, these new friendships and bonds?
1: They, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I, obviously, Yvonne and I have worked many years together. Um, Beth Lake, our sound designer, we've been working together for years, three years, actually. Um, not the Seagull, but mm-hmm. the next By Rice Should Be Giants. Um, and that's a great relationship um, Jennifer needs our set and props designer I've known for years um, and only recently started working uh, she does a lot of work with number 11 productions um, they do a lot of really cool stuff um, but I've always admired her as a maker of things and when I read this play it doesn't it's not really set in realism mm-hmm. we need to be very specific about the things that we make and what do we how do we use our properties and I thought well you know jen can make anything um and she's a great friend and collaborator and storyteller herself so let's get her in um and then rebecca joy wallace and uh chelsea uh, mcphillamy are new to me um though not new to everybody within the company so um that's helpful and they've been wonderful and then within the actual the performers themselves, I've worked with Samantha Walsh many many years, many times. I trust her. Uh, in fact, when and Callie has seen her work, and and when we said that we were interested in this, she said, "Oh, and it, can Sam do this, please?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I think yeah, we can. We can. I, let me ask her." <laughs> you know, and Sam was like, "Um, yes, please, yes." Which was part of it. Which was important. Um, we wanted to get. We got Sam on board early. We got Christopher Norwood on board early, who I haven't worked with before, but have known his work and have known him for a few years now. Um, and we got them on board right away because we knew that there was a, their characters really set the tone. Um, they're the one, if anybody has a clear character arc, um, emotional arc, from top to to bottom, it's those two. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that that was clear between the two of them. Um, And then as we move forward, uh, I've worked with Michael Markham before um, with another lunar energy show called Christopher Marlowe's Chloroform Dreams. Um, I had some involvement there, I wasn't a director. Uh, I have not worked with Lauren Nordvik, but she's been a wonderful person. Uh, uh, I've not worked with Ryan George before, though I know him, and he's been just wonderful. Oh God, oh God, and Charlie. And Charlie Flight, Charlie Flight uh, was new to all of us, um, but part of it is we have a character in this play who is a First Nations woman, um, which is, in, in, it's not a Native American because she's not American, she's Canadian, but um, it's a Native performer, a Native actor. And it's very important to me that we, that, that cultures are accurately represented. And so we reached out to Mary Catherine Nagel um, and said, "Who's who's a strong advocate for these things, and has written is a great playwright, and uh, wrote Manhattan, and um, Our Father's Our Father's Bones is the most recent thing she's done. It's about Jim Thorpe's remains and how they still are not uh, home. Um, and we reached out to her, and she was very helpful in in not only finding helping us to reach out to native performers, which I realized was." Part of the issue is right. I, don't, I didn't know any. I didn't. Know, I didn't even. I didn't even know if I knew any. You know, mm-hmm. um, Mary Catherine was very helpful in, in facilitating us getting Charlie, um, and yeah, and I guess that's. Oh, and then Rivka, God bless her, Rivka Friedlander. It's this wonderful stage manager who we who we discovered uh, uh, recently, and then I can just go on. I can just list them all. They're all great. Yeah, like, I can't you know, talk, speaking, talking about collaborators, you know, even just from a production standpoint, from a new production standpoint, having having Shelly Miles help us out uh, as a production supervisor, and having Rhiannon Tasker come in as a production manager, um, to create a team that is that strong and communicative with each other and knows the ins and outs of what we need to do uh, to support Yvonne as she produces this project um, is so supportive of me as an artistic director and as a director and that I don't have to worry about those things. It's, it's actually been a very weird learning process for me because I'm so used to having to do everything because right. I'm not, I didn't ask enough people for help or whatever. I like that. I back like on. <laughs> um, I'm so used to that that it's, it's, it's weird to say, you know, I've, there's been a number of times when I've had an email halfway written to one of the people in the production team about doing a thing, and then I'll get an email from that person doing that thing, right? Getting that information out that I've <laughs> about to task them with. And it's like, okay, I can just chill out. I can just be a director.
0: So what have you come across any struggles... Um, leading up to this point, creating a new company. Any roadblocks?
1: No roadblocks. Bumps. Okay. Uh, no roadblocks, um, which is unsettling. Very used to having big <laughs> roadblocks. You know, very used to going like, "Well, that's just going to be crappy. There's nothing we can do about that." Or you know, um, I'm waiting for the other foot to drop. Um, but sure. One of I mean in budgeting, you know, what do we? How do you budget for a project like this? You do your best, and then you find resources that you don't utilize fully, and you pay for it. You know, rehearsal space is an example. We we found a location that was a wonderful rehearsal space. Uh, we booked half of our rehearsal process, um, expecting to be able to book the second half later on, uh, and then we couldn't, and so we had to pay more money for, for other spaces um, that were maybe smaller, you know? Uh, and that, you know, so like, okay, next time, book all the rehearsal space all at right. once, you know? We're gonna go here, great, I don't care, it was six months out, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna figure it out from there. Um, but no, I mean, certainly not within, actually it's been great, in the rehearsal room, it has been the most. Uh, it's been the smoothest aspect of this. I, I've felt no pressure. The actors are so awesome, and it's a very challenging play. But again, you get people who have arms out, palms open, ready to go, recognizing the challenges and struggles of this script and how to how to stage it. we've i've surround i've been lucky in surrounding myself with people who see a problem and don't say oh no they say they say what next right and that's honestly that's it's such a gift um, and we hope that we have because we, we want that from our audience we want our audience to come and actually have, and have the same sort of impulse to say like what can i give because when you come to see a theater you 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 Willingly suspend your disbelief, right? That is a gift that you're giving the performers. You're saying, I, I am in a basement in New York City, but you're telling me I'm in Denmark, Denmark and your name is Hamlet, <laughs> right? Like, no, it's Kevin. I read the program. But I will give my belief to you, trusting that you will take care of it and tell an interesting story. And and that I will gain value from that, and and that's the audience we want, you know. We, we, we and so the, what better way to cultivate that than to present that in the at the very front? Say like, here we are, this is it. You ready? Want to want to do it? Want to do the thing? Hold my hand. Let's go, you know. And for people to to latch on and be like, okay. And then if we lose them, then we really messed up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then we know. Then we know it's us, you know. So. Or the audience gets to make a choice at the beginning right. and say, no, I don't want to do that. And that is their choice, and that is their right, and that is fine, but it's also their choice. you know.
0: So you guys um, just completed your uh, crowdsourcing fundraiser. Yes, yes. Um, thank which is thank you so many of you. Thank you. Something that I feel like is a massive trend in the art-making in indie theater now. Um, sure. How did you guys... Succeed. I had
1: no idea.
0: Um, <laughs> I don't know. Because it's interesting to me because, like, I've done it multiple times. Sure. I've succeeded in some and failed miserably in others mm-hmm. and using similar formulas, and I just, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, but how do you got, what was your um, way of getting people interested in any tips and tricks or techniques that you guys used?
1: <sighs> well, I think part of it is crowdfunding is interesting. When crowdfunding first started, I think it was a lot easier because the way you crowdfund is through social media. That's really right. what it was built for. And social media has changed. Right. You know, the, the algorithm on Facebook is, it, it's all top, top stories, not, new, not your news right. feed. Your news feed isn't, isn't chronological anymore like it used to be. Um, so it's less about frequency and more about how many likes are your post getting. How viral is this post going? Um, and even that and and even within that, you ever notice you notice how you get so many baby pictures. Yes you did. It's because they know that post will go viral, so they hear the, they see the word baby, <laughs> it gets a little bump from Facebook. And they and then I think similarly, and I have no I have no proof of any of this, but like if I were Facebook, this is what I would do. Um, Zachary's probably going to be listening oh yeah totally hey Mark um if you post the word donate or help or fundraiser or crowdfunding or any of those things it'll probably get a little bit of a down boost because Facebook offers ad space right Facebook offers boosted posts and that's and they make money off of that so why wouldn't they do it why wouldn't they knock it down a little bit
0: which is why I have not had a fan page for
1: Theatre of the Now well there you go I won't do it yeah um it's, it's So that's a challenge, you know. Um, so as a result of that, we didn't go, we didn't shoot for the moon on it. You know, we said, I think we can raise $5,000. Uh, I have been doing it in smaller doses for smaller projects in the past uh, and sort of understood what my network was capable of. And then we doubled that in a lot of ways. I said, I think that my network... And what I do, and how I, I've I've raised twenty five hundred dollars before, you know, I've done it uh, through through the, again. It's a collaborative process, mm-hmm. but I know I I know who's giving. I know who you know within my network is giving, and and so then if we double that, I think we can we can make it happen. So did
0: you give each person a goal to hit, or
1: no, 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 no? We just we just asked. We surrounded ourselves mm-hmm. with people who want to help. Great. We asked that they share it. Um, we also, you know, statistics show that if you have a video, it helps. So Yvonne and I are very silly people, <laughs> luckily. And uh, so we, we filmed a very silly video at the beginning of our campaign and hopefully people wanted to watch that, you know? People that knew us already would go want to watch SESB make fools of ourselves. There's puppets involved, you know what I mean? Like, what do you do? And then we put that in a perk, a video thank you, you know. Uh, a guy that we, that we were working with for the, on that first video said, well, why don't you just make this uh, thank you video and that's a perk. And people really want that perk. They want the video thank you <laughs> and they want the ticket, you know. And it's like, okay, so here's a ticket and then here's a thank you with our puppets. Uh, and that's fun, you know. It's just, it's just a matter of, like, how do you engage your audience, that's all it is, is just engaging your audience. And honestly, like, if, when we were writing these thank you videos, there was a time when it turned into a web series. We were having a great <laughs> time, and it's like, there's just no time for that crap. You know what I mean? But let me tell you, Jasper, Jasper and, and Kevin used to have a whole arc, and it had a lot to do with questioning our marketing strategy in general. And you know this is a very serious play. I wonder if Puppets and Silly Constantly Videos is actually going to get the right people to our to our show and like but having having Callie, you know film herself saying that into the phone and having a puppet answer the answer the question. <laughs> you know, just little things, little things like it that. It worked. I did. We we made it, you know. We made it. Um and now we just got to get butts in that in those seats. Come see the show. It's going to be it's going to be really good. I'm going. It's I'll be there. Michael this is going to be the best show that you've seen of mine.
0: I'm excited for it.
1: Uh, it's 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 gonna be. I'm really I hope. God, I hope so. But uh, I f- I feel like this story is so so cool, and I feel like that the, the people are doing such great work. And uh, the, oh God, I just want so badly for people to see yeah. the show and to experience this because I think the Y'all dig it in a big way.
0: So, one thing I respect about you is that you have a background in dramaturgy Mm -hmm. and you are really supportive when you work with uh, new playwrights and their works. Um, What do you think that um, dramaturgy should spike more? Because I've seen a lot of shows that desperately need dramaturgs to Mm. aid in a production. What do you think? Why do you think some people avoid using a dramaturg?
1: That's a really big question. (laughs) Um, I think, generally, dramaturgy as a whole is, it is is technically the newest position in the theater, right? Um, It is a very young position and I think in many ways it is uh, as yet undefined in the sense that you can say dramaturgy and that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people and a lot of different playwrights and a lot of different processes and a lot of different plays in general. A dramaturg on Shakespeare is a very different person and a very different task than a dramaturg with a new playwright, right? Absolutely. Um, And then just to top it all off, I think that goes into, you know, and you've got what is a dramaturg, but someone who helps the playwright write their play, um, right? I mean, right? I, I even ask, you know. Right. Uh, so what's also that's also that's development. So we've got development readings at the Wazoo. We've got workshops everywhere, but less people, less than less than readings. Why do we have that? Well, you got a theater. Gonna, you to you want to make sure that this new play is gonna sell. Do a reading of it. People have people to come, maybe make some money off of those people mm-hmm. uh, for very, very limited time and resources, um, and then see if they like it. Do they like it? Cool, let's produce it. You know, will they come again? You know, then you ask yourself that question. Um, so it makes some sense, but that doesn't necessarily help the play, right? Right. Uh, a good dramaturg. I think some of the best dramaturgs that I know are communicators. They are able to lead a, an audience talk back in a way that is constructive for the playwright. It's not going to get hijacked by the guy that starts talking about his uncle, right? <laughs> right? I mean those Absolutely. and like that's that that dude needs to come to the theater. We appreciate that guy coming to the theater, but at the same but it's also like there's a time and a place and knowing when to say things and, like, when does it become about you? And, and that's that's all advice, really. But, um, and I also think that a lot of the things in the independent scene in New York uh, suffer from a need of a dramaturg, as you say, mm-hmm. because it's so hard to do this. One of the reasons, one of the things that I... Uh, Okay, so let's say let's say the play to produce a play in New York City. Let's say it costs you ten grand, right? You get three weeks. You hope you get uh you hope you get people in the in the seats. You hope you get good reviews. Um, the play is new. The playwright's working on it. Uh,
0: it sounds like there's a little show going on.
1: No, it's it's a there's something I don't know what's going on. Um. Let me start over. Let's say it costs 10 grand to do a theater, a play in the theater, a new play. Uh, The playwright's writing the thing. You're developing it as you go. You all have day jobs. You all are working 15-hour days because you've got your eight hours a day, at your day job, and then you've got rehearsal at night for four weeks, and then you're going to be in the theater for three weeks, and then it's going to be done. And... Where's the previews, right? How do you make your money back? You need all all those performances. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you make your money back? You have to sell tickets. So, how do you give your your playwright? Well, now you're talking about getting in the space a little bit earlier. So that's an addition. So now it's right. now it's thirteen hundred dollars, right? And who's got that, right? And so it just it just builds and builds and builds. And I feel like a lot of times plays get produced they have the readings happen, and then the playwrights get, they wanna do it, they wanna see, the playwrights are, there's playwrights everywhere and they want to see their, their work done, and they wanna see it done, not just heard or, you know, they wanna see it happen, because that's the play. And I don't know, I just think that'll, I think it's really hard to do it. And then you do the thing and then it's a failure. Right. Do you go back and work on that play? You may have learned some things about that play, but now you've just sunk thirteen hundred dollars into that play, and in the meantime, you've written another one, and you've kind of reached a catharsis on this story. You know, there's some sort of frat party out there, <laughs> right? So like, it's it's it's, it's a struggle. It's a, everything's a struggle right now. It Michael. is. So that's why that's I think that's why I think plays get produced sometimes too early. Um, or, or you don't take the time to do it or you know and, and you just have to keep but you have to keep going and you right. know you've got to be honest and communicative and sometimes you start a project and maybe you shouldn't have done it you know maybe it wasn't ready or maybe you didn't have the right relationship with that playwright as a director in my case you know uh, so it's fixing those things it's really paying attention to the build up paying attention to what is the story we're telling what's our relationship and are we gonna make the thing? You know? Yeah. Does that work? Make sense? It totally does.
0: So, what play do you want to direct next, or is there some playwright you want to work with? What what's what's next in your dream book?
1: Uh, the truth of it is, I want to work with a new. I want to work on a new play with a playwright. That's that's sort of my mo. It's never, it's never any like. I I don't have a lot of. Things, you know, mulling my brain about this classic piece that I need to re-envision. I view my role as a director as a very uh, humble position of facilitating the storytelling, right? Um, So I'm not someone who's like, I need to see... I I have never seen the right Hamlet, therefore I must do Hamlet. (laughs) Um, Though it is my favorite Shakespeare play, but like, you know... So if you want me to direct Hamlet, just call me. We'll talk. But uh, <laughs>
0: And you have a vision for your dream Hamlet? No.
1: I don't know. No. <laughs> no. No. Put actors in a room. Put actors in a room and talk to people. That's my vision of, of that. But um, I always have things working. My, uh, my friend Daniel John Kelly uh, has written a play that I think is beautiful. And I'm directing a reading of it. Yeah, readings aren't all bad. But, you know. Um, not at all. We're not charging for it. So that's important, um, but our friend at Red Leaf Theater uh, approached us to maybe uh, collaborate on a reading series on our Dark Nights. Um, so on the uh, oh. so on the twelfth and the thirteenth, and the nineteenth and the twentieth of this month, in our space, will be at eight o'clock. Will be readings of new plays. Um, on the twentieth, I'm directing a play called. Uh, Family Circle Overlooking the Rhine by Daniel John Kelly which is an adaptation play that uses um, Wagner's uh, The Ring as its source material it's set in at the bar outside the Family Circle section of the New York Metropolitan Opera which is the very very top Um, and it, it takes place over the course of three years in which the Metropolitan Opera produced Wagner's The Ring in its entirety, all 16 hours of it. Um, So it follows, and it follows a company, a small production um, um, publishing house. Over the course of that time, it also coincides with the recession. And so it's this really neat meditation on, on The Ring. It's also a neat meditation on where we are in our society, it's a very American play. It's very right now. Um, I think it's really neat. That's a fun one, but I don't know that that's the next thing that we want to produce. Right. Right. You're at, as a producer. As a producer, it, that's it's a, it's a separate thing. Like what do I want to do as a director? Everything. Right. What do I want to do as a producer? What I can do well. Right. With we the just, resources you have. Exactly. With the resources that we have, and that's always been. That's always been the thing, and and throughout my career in New York, it's been knowing what my resources are and pushing the limits, it's always uh, telling ambitious stories as best as we can do. Um, but that's why you start with a reading series, and then you work up to a workshop series, and now we've got a production a production company, and like maybe one day we'll have a theater space, you know, and then we'll have other problems that have to worry about, <laughs> uh, you know, and like what you know, that it's just you just keep working just keep working and if you're in love with the process over the product if you just truly love the process of telling stories then you can then you'll never be disappointed enough to stop right yeah that's the jam. That's how it is. So
0: we're going to move into the fun portion. Not that the rest wasn't fun. Oh, God. The, thank goodness. But the Ugh. the non-theatrical portion. They're start them? talking about hockey. Well, we'll get to hockey. But first, where? what is your favorite New York eatery? Where do you go?
1: Shut up. What? Oh, man.
0: Like, Plug away and try to get them to sponsor the show. What is your favorite place?
1: Oh, Any man. borough. Any borough. Hmm. Well, there's a different a couple different things. Okay. I like Astoria beer and cheese. All right, I've never. I live, in, been. I live in Astoria, so there's a lot of great food out there. But there's this neat little bottle bar. There's a neat little bottle bar uh, in in Astoria called Astoria Beer and Cheese. They're really great people. Uh, great beer. Um, great meats and cheeses and uh, a great little community out there um, I also so that's one I also mm-hmm. love the Thirsty Koala okay it's an Australian restaurant alright um, I've been there maybe a dozen times in three years but every time I go they remember me
0: that's good
1: good people That's good good, food. Uh, good for gluten free which is helpful Good for vegetarians as well and also you can eat kangaroo if you want so and it's delicious wow, okay um so like yeah so it's a good it's a good place and then man in manhattan everything god <laughs> momofuku i love that ramen <laughs> my moon so they're not gonna sponsor anything but that falafel is <laughs> tasty dumpling man Dollar Slice Pizza. The Dollar Slice Pizza helped me out. I feel like You you know
0: what? Maybe they can. Is there like one specific one you go to where you like... Oh, the one on St. Mark's. The The one on St. Mark's.
1: Yeah, right by by Ramen Setagaya, which is also good. (laughs) Um, Coopers, the barbecue place up 2nd Avenue. Right. They're great. Oh, and you know what else? A bar that I really dig around here. See, you got me going. A bar that I dig around here is 12th Street Ale House. I've never been. It's on Twelfth Street and Second Avenue. It's on the corner there, just catty corner from the church, um, and they're awesome. And boy, we had a little benefit, not a benefit, it was like a launch party for the company. And when we hung out, we we got in touch with them, and they were so generous in helping us. Just they extended their happy hour for us. It was a great place to hang out, a good little watering hole. Um, you know, I like places that don't have too much pretense. You know what I mean? So, I like. So,
0: where is your go-to bar
1: to watch hockey? Kelly's. Okay. Are you kidding? Kelly's down in the Lower East Side, down in Alphabet of City, down there. You go there. Listen, you don't have to be a Buffalo fan.
0: <laughs> Who's? Is there any Buffalo fans?
1: There are Buffalo fans. <laughs> they have a whole bar dedicated to them. They play the games with sound, and you don't have to be. And you don't have to watch the Rangers game. Which is just great because pretty much anywhere else in the city you got to watch a rangers game if you want to watch absolutely uh but i'm a devils fan and, and i'm a
0: rangers fan so we are rivals
1: uh that's true that is true and you remind me of it mm-hmm, i recently. do
0: especially the past two years when we've been very good yeah it's been fun so let's let's talk a little hockey um how are the devils going to do this year better better than last year
1: yeah yeah they're gonna do better than last year they've got i and truthfully, I don't know.
0: It's what? all different.
1: Lou's gone. <laughs> Lou's gone. And when
0: when are they gonna retire uh number thirty?
1: Next year. Okay. I think. It'll be next year. And uh we'll get all these kids in there, man. It's gonna be a fast You're a young team. It's gonna be there's gonna be some speed and there's gonna be a lot of mistakes. And Corey is gonna be busy in next. Yes, he will. And then the Rangers are going to um Make the playoffs.
0: They're going to make the playoffs and they're going to make another run. Hopefully they won't nope. bomb nope. at the end. they're going
1: to bomb right out early.
0: I don't know. So, all right, fine. Who is your preseason pick to win the Stanley Cup? Anaheim. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's Anaheim. But I, who knows? I mean, we've got a trade deadline to go through and everything. Mm-hmm. But, like, Anaheim is so big. They're so fast. left and Perry are amazing. Uh, they got better in spite of that awful... Castler contract, they got better and um, a little bit younger. I think they're I think they're the team, they're the team to watch. But you know, listen, Dallas is going to be fun. Chicago's still, they still are winning things. They are. LA is going to get. But they better. may be
0: short one player.
1: Well, listen, I don't want so to get. We won't get to into that. Yeah, it's going to come out of the West. It's going to be the West, right. I think. And then you know, listen, there's going to be some fun stuff going on in the metropolitan. I think Pittsburgh will do better than Philly. <laughs> Let's I, hope. I think that, yeah. I think that the Rangers will probably win the division. And what about the, the Brooklyn Islanders, Brooklyn Islanders? The Islanders, I think it's going to be Islanders making it in. I think it'll be, I think the Metro's going to send probably at least four teams, if not mm-hmm. five. Because I think New York, both New York teams, Pittsburgh, uh, Washington, and Columbus. Alright. Columbus is going over their, their injury hump and uh, Bobrovsky's too good and they've finally gotten these kids going. Uh, Felino's really great seeing their young kids really grow up. I think there's going to be some fun stuff coming out of Columbus and that'll be a great hockey town someday. Hopefully. that uh, They're they're close enough. They're close enough to Pittsburgh. They got, It's cold enough out there that the kids play hockey uh, and you know, once the winter hits, and nobody's watching the Buckeyes. <laughs> what are you going to do in Columbus? You got to go watch hockey. That's all. You, the crew doesn't. The crew's in the summer.
0: We won't. We won't talk about Ohio State. It's um, a sort of sort of subject in my family. I don't even know what that means. Michigan fans. Oh, that's okay. Um, so we're going to do some, a new segment. Obviously, it's new because it's the first one, but it is called uh, the Pot Five Rapid Fire. So I'm going to give you five. Okay. Pop culture, either names or shows or something. Okay. Um, And you're just gonna quickly give me what? Give me something. Just give me a word or something. Just whatever comes to it.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, So we are going to start with number one Ariana Grande.
1: Oh, Scream Queens. Scream Queens is a fantastic show.
0: Really? It's so, so stupid
1: and fun. I love it
0: we're gonna disagree here I can't I'm gonna still watch it but I love hating it right now oh but that's what I'm saying that's what I'm talking about it's really dumb I'm so nervous about Ryan Murphy's other project on FX i well I have
1: listen there's another conversation <laughs> but Aria, that's the first thing that came into my head and I think I think it's and she's great <laughs> go ahead you know she can sing she's fun
0: um number two how to get away with murder not a fan
1: alright I love Viola Davis I think Viola Davis is fantastic Morgan Gould is gonna hate me uh oh, Morgan. Don't don't get mad at me. I have problems with. I, I'm not a big melodrama fan. Okay. In general, I think that Shonda Rhimes is so important and so powerful and so wonderful, and I love every single premise that she creates, and I love all of. I love I love her main characters so much, and I find that a lot of times, especially with in course like Scandal, the melodrama for me cheapens those characters in a way that i have problems with i think viola davis is awesome and i think she is better than the show she's on
0: all right does
1: that make sense that works
0: yeah number three tom brady who (laughs) oh tom brady we won't get into the flight gate um number four hamilton
1: can someone get me tickets Come on, man!
0: Um, God, by, I want to see it! By the time this airs, it's very likely that I would have seen the show, because I'm going oh, tonight.
1: Oh. Lucky. Yeah, we won't talk about that. That's exciting. Um, Get Lynn out! Oh, come see the show, Lynn. Yeah! off-night. Come check it out, man. We'll, we'll have a good time.
0: Yeah, you should totally come. You dig it. And number five, we're gonna go big. Donald Trump. What?
1: Why? <laughs> Why? Why would we do that? Why would we talk about Donald Trump?
0: Why not? Then? I think he's got some great ideas. Let me tell you.
1: <laughs> no, man. No, that's a bad. That's yeah, a. This is a. I, I'm. I'm fascinated to see what happens. Uh, I think. I think he. I think his success and uh, Bernie Sanders' success is um, a. Sympt- I mean, keeping my own politics out of it, I think it is a symptom of a the disenfranchised feelings that a lot of Americans have with the with the with the political the political sphere. I think that we're looking at people that are that are making headway. They are both people who are like devil out of co- devil out of care. You know what I mean? Just like let's make the thing, let's 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 do better. And they, whether they have the right. You know whether they're whether they're on the right path and or, they they want to do things. So yeah, that's that's all I got on Donald. Trump. That's fine. He's so, he needs to work on his hair a little bit.
0: Yeah, he needs a stylist. He's yeah. needed it for a very long time.
1: Or he, or maybe he needs <laughs> less stylists. I don't know. Perhaps.
0: Yeah. Uh, so since you're the first official guest, you are going to kick things off for the future. But what we're going to do is. Each guest is going to ask whoever the next guest is a question. Oh, cool. Who's the next so guest? I, well, we don't know yet. Like, sometimes I'll know, sometimes I won't. Right uh-huh. now, I don't know who the next person's going to be. Come on. All right. Um, so what is your question for the next person no, wait, on no, Locktop? No, 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 no.
1: I, got, I got a question for you first. Okay, okay. Okay, so are you getting, are you getting playwrights? Are you getting... I'm what are going you going I'm going to
0: on? get a mix of actors, playwrights, directors, theater people. We'll hopefully get some designers on. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have a mix of mm. theater artists, and sometimes we're gonna do some panels. That's fun.
1: Um, the only honest question that I would have for uh, your next guest is when do you want to get coffee?
0: Great, that's a perfect question.
1: Yeah, that's really it. Like, when do you want to get coffee? Let's go get let's go get coffee and talk about theater and work on maybe work. Making connections. That's it. Well, it's let's 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 tell stories, man. Let's see how it is. Let's let's see what we can do together. That's it. You know the next, and then otherwise, what? Like I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) What do you think about the Devils this season?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're gonna end now, but let's plug away. Uh, Let's one more time. Let's give everybody info for the show.
1: Yes, Team Awesome Robot presents Rush by Callie Kimball at the Paradise Factory at 64 East 4th Street, uh, right next to La Mama. Um, It's uh, October 9th through the 25th. uh, To check us out, teamawesomerobot.com. You can get tickets, come, it's gonna be awesome. Rush is a story of Belinda as she joins the Yukon Gold Rush in 1899. And what from her past is chasing
0: her very cool i look forward to seeing it i hope you all come see it and yes please it's been a dream having you as the first guest oh
1: it's my pleasure
0: thank you michael thank you and there you have it episode one is in the books i want to thank chris again for taking the time to talk to us and don't forget to follow theater in the now on twitter at theater in the now for the latest news reviews and interviews If you have any questions or comments, feel free to drop me a line via the question link on our homepage. Thank you again, and until next time, this is Michael Block, and that was Block Talk.